I am the woman at the well. I come to the well in the heat of the day alone to avoid the sneers and the gossiping, wagging tongues that cut into my already broken heart. I avoid the painful ignorance and the lack of loving care. Shame, it is my only covering. My men, they have all thrown me away for those that are younger and prettier than I. The shattered pieces of my life lay scattered all around me, leaving a trail of tears, desperate to be loved, shattered and scattered is my soul. And then, he, the king, the Messiah, Yeshua, he came to meet me, me, at the well. He told me all about myself. He didn't shame me. He didn't blame me. He didn't chastise me. He forgave me. He accepted me. And he healed and delivered me. He fulfills all my hopes of an abiding, undying love that will never end. Shalom, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Healing for the Nations. We are on a journey to the heart of the Father. And on our journey, we have fellow sojourners, truth tellers, those who have the ability to help us with the spots and the wrinkles on our wedding dress because we are on the way to the great wedding feast. I don't know about you brothers and sisters, but I look around me and I see all the signs that are happening all around us and which are indicators that it's not that far off this wedding. And uh, I don't know about you, but I want to make sure that I have addressed my spots and my wrinkles on my wedding dress because I can't see behind me. (laughs) So I need truth tellers to come alongside of me and speak the truth in love. So today, my special guest, my truth teller for today is our returning guest, Leanda Weimer. Welcome Mm. back. Hello. Thank you. It's good to be back. So... Last week, we were talking about the topic of attachment, and oh my goodness, there's so much to this topic that I needed to bring you back to explore it a little bit more and expand it, so that's what we're going to do today. Uh, Leanda, would you please refresh the minds of the audience and also those that missed the show? Just tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do, who you are, and where folks can find your work. Yeah, um, my name's Leanda, and I do private practice therapy. And so um, for the past 10 years, I've worked in post-adopt attachment-focused therapy. I've worked for the child welfare system. I've done a little bit of everything. I am in private practice and do adoption home studies on the side now. Other than that, uh, you guys can find me on Facebook and Instagram at Adoption Avenue or Adoption Ave, A-V-E. And if you just search those in Facebook and Instagram, they'll pop right up. Super. So let's do let's do a review. Help our listeners to understand what attachment theory is mm-hmm. and the different styles of attachment. So attachment theory really is something that John Bowlby discovered and really thought about. And he was the one that kind of noticed that we all have a different response to how we how we respond to people, really, basically. And so he noticed that because of a little uh, history is, is that he noticed that there was two boys that 
one was really clingy and one was very um, standoffish. And so through that, he developed the attachment theory that really you need a caregiver. You need that primary caregiver to give you high structure and high nurture to be attached. So to make you safe in the world, to make you feel like you can be resilient, some of those things, you have to have that attachment. And then the attachment styles, um, there's four of them. Hold on, let me shift my notes here. Um, So there is secure, and we basically want to be secure. We want to live in that secure attachment. There's anxious, avoidant, and disorganized. Um, So anxious is really... Children tend to distrust caregivers, and it's really that insecure of, like, I want the approval, I want to have you be around, but then I also am afraid that you're going to leave. Um, Avoidant is, I don't really care if you're here or not. Um, So they kind of tend to grow up feeling unloved and maybe insignificant. They struggle with expressing their feelings. Um, Disorganized is kind of a melb of avoidant and anxious. So that's really kind of the one that we see a lot of adoption and foster care kiddos have. Um, That's kind of where they fit in is disorganized and they, they display intense anger. They may have some behavioral issues. They have difficult relationships with that primary caregiver. They tend to take it out on the primary caregiver more. And then we know that because of that disorganized attachment style, it tends to um, be hard on intimate relationships, even into adulthood and can lead to mental health diagnoses. Um, You know, we we kind of talked about those ACEs and the ACE score as well. We know that a lot of trauma can impact our attachment as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. So my background, of course, is substance abuse counseling and, and I'm right now involved in studies to become a certified domestic violence uh, advocate. And so there's a lot of research out there Mm -hmm. about uh, the lack of connection and attachment. And I think we touched, I think we touched on the lack of nurturing and Mm -hmm. the, the chemistry of oxytocin and dopamine. So if, if you could maybe explain a little bit about the brain chemistry and, and how the brain works. Yeah. So with attachment, again, we typically tend to a lot of children that have experienced trauma, um, kind of, again, my expertise is in a adoption um, and foster care, but we typically see those kiddos that have a lot of trauma. And so we know that trauma impacts the brain and it impacts, excuse me, the um, brainstem and then also the frontal lobe. And so look, if you look, there's a powerful picture um, of a neurotypical healthy developing brain. And then there's also a picture of like an abuse, neglect brain. And we see that the frontal lobe is really almost non-existent in the abused and uh, neglected brain. Wow. And we see that in the brainstem, that the brainstem is almost twice the size in the abused and neglected brain. So that tells us too, and research backs this up, that there's a lot of kids living in their brainstem. And the brain is a muscle. So the more that we use something, the more that it's going to get stronger, right? So that's why 
that brainstem is going to be twice the size. And children typically, we call it kindling, but children typically just always constantly are in that flight, fight, or freeze state when they're in disorganized or have disorganized attachment. And we know that the amygdala will send a message to the hippocampus and that will constantly be kind of like just ready to be ignited. Um, and so that amygdala just kind of sends almost false signals to the brain to say like, we're in trouble, but really we're not, we're not perceived, like it's perceived fear, but it's not actual um, harm or dangerous situations. A lot of times it can't even be, the signal can be sent when it is just a um, like intimate relationship and maybe just wanting to share an intimate detail about your life or getting closer to someone and um, revealing a secret that you have or talking about your trauma or, you know, things like that, that may be difficult to talk about. Um, it could be even something like that can set the brain off and be in a flight fighter freeze state. That's fascinating because, you know, you take a look around and this is how I see it. You know, trauma began in the garden. I mean, you think about Cain and Abel, you know, what happened there, the fallout of the fall and the interaction or loss of connection, heart, Mm -hmm. heart connection in this family, the original family. And there's books out there about Adam and Eve and mm-hmm. right off the top of my head, I can't remember the name of it, but it's the account of Adam and Eve. And I've I've read it and it talks about their mental and emotional anguish when they were ordered out of mm-hmm. the garden. And yeah. so trauma happened right there at the mm-hmm. fall. And so here in 2023, <laughs> we oh, yeah. are... Seeing all around us the people in fight flight mode and when the parents are in fight flight freeze or Mm -hmm. fawn mode, how on earth can they parent? How on earth can they nurture their their children? And also also, you know, if they're taking in adopted children, now this is not my area of expertise, this is yours, but if people are in survival mode and they don't even know they're in survival mode mm-hmm. <laughs> and they take right. into their homes, you know, foster children, it just, yeah. it makes me wonder what the impact of that is on these families that are trying to do the right thing by, you know, bringing children that need a home, a a safe home, because healing does not take place unless a person feels safe. Mm -hmm. So, so tell us a little bit about how you work with families. Yeah. So kind of, there's two different modalities that I really use and One is TBRI, it's Trust-Based Relational Intervention. So it's really, Karen Purvis is the one that made it um, and kind of developed it through years of research. She's a child psychologist, um, doctor, and she actually started the Childhood Institute at Texas Christian University, and she worked with Dr. David Cross to develop this um, modality of Trust-Based Relational Intervention. So there's four different domains. And basically all of them, to be kind of summarized, a lot of them are understanding kind of the child's behavior, understanding their history, and really looking at the need behind the behavior. 
Um, so what is that child really trying to say when they are maybe obstinate, when they throw something or when they're breaking something or they run away or, you know, whatever it is, like, what is that child trying to communicate to you? What are they trying to say through their behavior? Um, but then also she realized that a lot of kiddos that have been adopted and have kind of some of these developmental issues in their brain that she realized they have some sensory issues too. So she kind of melds together some sensory, some therapy. Um, she also notices that they need that high structure and high nurture to have that attachment and that bond developed. So she has some like catchphrases that she had said a lot with working with families. Like one is, are you asking or are you telling? And she would tell the child that and the child would have to kind of stop and think like, oh, okay, maybe I need to rephrase the way that I say something. Um, so there's just little catchphrases and things that she said. And then their play is really more developmental and kind of taking the child back to developmental stages that they may have missed. So especially those children that have been adopted like overseas, internationally, you know, sometimes they can be in orphanages with 60 other kids to one caregiver. Mm. Um, and so a lot of times they're not getting that individual attention. They're not getting that nurturing and structure that they need and so a lot of times that therapy is very helpful to kind of make up some of those things that they missed so it'll be of course age appropriate and that's my job as the clinician to kind of um, make sure that it's age appropriate and something that the parent and the child want to do but it's kind of like um, for example if with an infant you rock and sing and maybe um, put them to sleep and you are patting them and singing and like doting on their face and rubbing maybe their little head or their little hand or you know things like that and then and with an older kiddo, maybe that we kind of try to reenact that, we'll put them in a blanket and me and the parent will hold up the blanket and rock them in the blanket and sing. And kind of the parent will be the one kind of down at their feet to make eye contact with them and be able to sing to them. So there's just things like that that we kind of modify for the child to have that experience. And people think that it's kind of strange at first, but really when they see that the kiddo really responds to it, and once that, the crazy thing is too, we know that God made our bodies so intricately that once that need is met, we don't need to have that need met again. So it's just like we grow and learn and we no longer need our parents to rock us at 30 something years old or 40 or 50. We don't need that once that need has been met. And we didn't even really probably need that even when we were like 10. There's just things like that that, yeah, once we know that that need has been met, then they go on to the next developmental stage. Um, so those are really two of the big forms of um, therapy that I do hmm. with kind of the lens of trauma. So that's really fascinating because as I'm listening to you, I'm thinking about the the terms um, arrested development and I'm thinking about my own experience, personal experience, um, because there were stages in my own development that I missed. I'm thinking also about the experience a child is having when you're doing that because we're we touched on oxytocin mm -hmm. and the importance of oxytocin and, and the eye-to-eye -eye contact when uh, the mama is nursing and mm -hmm. the, the brain development and the chemistry and the neurotransmitters that are being developed in the brain and what happens to a human being when those God-given needs are not met. And the oxytocin is what's called the love drug. Some of the research that I've read, they've linked the lack of 
um, the proper amount of oxytocin and nurturing to sex and porn addiction because yeah. it's it's drug seeking. It's another form of what we call in the substance abuse field drug seeking. So you're mm-hmm. you're you're seeking that next hit. So what right. it actually is is you're trying to get those unmet needs met. Mm-hmm. And it right. goes right back to receiving the proper nurturing and, and yeah. uh, you know, the, those good solid foundations that the father intended for us to have. Yeah, that's, that's really interesting. I'm so glad that there is this kind of work being done. And, yeah. and so I'm also thinking about the reparenting mm-hmm. as an adult. We, we have to... Uh, come to accept that we have these wounded parts we have to come to a place of accepting that we suffer with arrested development even though we may be intellectually brilliant we can still emotionally be stunted not any fault of our own but because there was a lack in our developmental stages and Mm -hmm. so one of my favorite counselors he's a pastor and he's also a substance abuse counselor and his area of expertise is complex post-traumatic stress. His name mm-hmm. is Tom, Tom Fletcher. And he yeah. is right now currently doing a series on reparenting. He does tremendous work with, with people who um, have gotten caught up with addiction, you know, self-medicating themselves with drugs and alcohol and uh he has a friday night lecture you can catch it on youtube and i highly recommend his work if you are an adult and you're struggling with addictions because the the question is not what is wrong with you the question is what happened and sometimes we have to ask ourselves well what didn't happen that needed to happen to help me to become a mature adult right yeah Absolutely. And some of those things, too, like you said, it's definitely not any fault of the child. And, you know, because we know of this development of the brain and them living in the brainstem, they can't differentiate between positive and negative attention. You know, like you're kind of talking about that, like, love drug. We know that they can't differentiate and really understand what, like, that you know, yeah, positive and negative attention, what that really looks like and what that means, and then the cause and effect of that. So, you know, it makes total sense that that would kind of go hand in hand with um, porn addiction, you know, some of those things too. Wow, that's that's pretty amazing. Um, I do know that you and I were talking about this right before we we jumped on here, but the father's on the move big time. He is on the move. I've seen oh, yeah. other yeah, I've seen other people having retreats for people to come in and to heal from childhood trauma. We have mm. our retreat coming up, our very first Good Samaritan women's retreat here in Florida, and we will be having more retreats in the future creating small spaces safe spaces for people to come for women to come and to address these these traumas in their lives and to provide tools to heal because there's a lot of tools out there folks 
and uh, so you can find my Facebook page is called Healing for the Nations with a Modern Day Samaritan Woman and that is a place that I post different tools you can also reach me at a modern day Samaritan woman at gmail.com. So those are a couple of places that you can obtain a, you know some some tools and you can also contact me. I will help you any way that I can. So we're out of time. We're gonna go on break, but when we come back, we're going to continue to talk about this this uh, this topic of attachment. So we will be right back. Shalom. Welcome back, everybody. This is the second half of Healing for the Nations with a modern-day Samaritan woman. So before we went on break, I was chit-chatting with my guest today, Leanda Weimer. Welcome back. Hello. Thank you. It's nice to be here. So before we went on break, we were chatting about attachment theory, and Leanda is a uh, licensed clinical social worker and she works with adopted families and children and uh so this half we are going to continue the conversation but uh, leander would you please share with people in case they missed the first half a little bit about yourself yeah um i am a licensed clinical social worker i am in private practice currently and i do adoption home studies on the side i've been a social worker for about 10 years and I've done everything from case management, child welfare, um, in post-adoption, um, attachment focused therapist, and I've done some school social work, and then now private practice. <laughs> um, and then you can find me on Facebook and Instagram at Adoption Avenue, and it's theadoptionav.com is my website. Awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah. Let's... Uh... Let's keep talking about this this attachment. So some of the research is pointing to attachment or lack of is mm-hmm. the foundation for addictions. So I'm going to share mm-hmm. some some quotes and I'm going to share a little bit about what I have found in looking into this topic because of course my heart is with the addictions and So the question again is not what is wrong with you, the question is what happened. The dysfunctional family systems and how it's all set up, it's a really great bedrock for addiction. You know, I'm a firm believer in knowledge is power. If we can understand that the question is not what is wrong with me, but the question is, okay, what happened? Let's get Mm -hmm. honest about what happened and let's get honest about the stages of development that we're missing. Right. So I want to share some some quotes. This is from Johan Hari. He is a, a speaker and a writer. He has some really great books on Uh, the topic of connection so he says the opposite of addiction is human connection and I think that has massive implications for the war on drugs the treatment of drug addicts almost everywhere in the world is much closer to tent city than it is to anything in Portugal our laws are built around the belief that drug addicts need to be punished to stop them but if pain and trauma and isolation cause addiction, 
then inflicting more pain and trauma and isolation is not going to solve that addiction. It's actually going to deepen it. And how true is that? So the opposite of addiction is not sobriety. It is human connection. Mm -hmm. That's a powerful statement because for many, many years in the substance abuse realm in the field, we always talked about sobriety, not connection. Mm -hmm. But the research is, is, you know, once again, it's showing that it's, it is a connection. We need to be connected to to people. And when we have a faulty foundation that sets us up with the fight, flight, freeze, and fawn, we fall into, a, you know, many different ways of self-medicating. So I found this really great website. It's called the Attachment Project. I don't know if you've ever heard. Have you ever heard of it? I have. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, um, you know, those that are listening, if you want to do some more research, there is a website. It's called the Attachment Project, and it has a different attachment styles, and it has mm-hmm. little tabs, Start to Heal. There's a blog. But I just wanted to share, this was taken from an article that was published August 13th, 2022. By nature, we are wired to turn to loved ones for care and comfort. Yet, while there is nothing inherently dysfunctional about wanting to be loved, when this nurturance isn't provided, we tend to try and find alternative methods to (laughs) self-soothe. It is at this point that addiction and attachment start to interrelate. So seeking out alternative methods to self-soothe. So, you know, reading that, I immediately think about people with porn addiction or sex addiction. Mm-hmm. You know, that longing to connect, that longing to, to be loved, to have a sense of belonging, which that's the way the Father created us was, mm-hmm. you know, a need to feel accepted and having a sense of belonging. So it goes on to say addictions to substances such as drugs and alcohol or rituals around food, gambling, and sex can become compensatory. No, I'm saying it wrong. Compensatory. Compensatory mechanisms Mm -hmm. for substituting the internal balance that a secure attachment typically provides this isn't to suggest this isn't to suggest that someone with a secure attachment style can't experience addiction research in the area however sheds light on the prospect of addiction as an attachment disorder Mm. i find that interesting yeah yeah so the link between addiction so there's a link between addiction and attachment Mm mm-hmm and so there's a biological and psychological aspect to addiction right and so there is part, so one of the one of the powerful things about the 12 step support rooms is you have a sense of belonging acceptance 
there is a connection there. I mean, you can go mm-hmm. into a 12-step support meeting like NA and AA, let's say, right. and, you know, let, you know, pe- people, you know, people go in there and they can share, you know what, I just relapsed, X, Y, and Z happened, I picked up. Mm-hmm. And they won't be berated if it's a healthy if it's a healthy meeting they won't be berated people will actually right. rally around that person and support that person right. so instead of being you know rejected and chastised they will be loved and nurtured mm-hmm. right and with that too like even those top 12 step programs that really is kind of a secure attachment in yeah. those groups of yes. like structure and nurture you know of nurturing of we're here for you you know even if you mess up like that person knows that group of people will be there to be supportive will still have relationship with them and they even know kind of the consistency of how the group is going to respond you know Uh where it's not this like disorganized attachment of like you don't know how your caregiver or group members per se respond um, where you'll know kind of what, yeah, what the outcome will be. And, you know, through following those steps that there's there's kind of a system to it and a structure of then that will put you, you know, I'm not as familiar with the 12 steps. I'm not. Um, addictions isn't like a specialty of mine, but I understand, and correct me if I'm wrong, but like you, you go back to like starting over and counting the days again, but then do you start the 12 steps back over? Once you would like relapse. So, so the the twelve steps is actually uh, becomes like an ingrained way of of life. You kind of like okay. like like the scriptures. I mean, okay. the reason why the the twelve steps work when applied to a person's life is because they're derived out of mm-hmm. the scriptures. So okay. it you know it it becomes uh, a way of life. You automatically. Mm-hmm are able to to navigate life in a much more um, functional manner mm-hmm. and uh, you know for me the 12 steps saved my life the 12 mm-hmm. steps of Alcoholics Anonymous and Narcotics Anonymous has saved a lot of people's lives right. and uh, you know it's it's a really good program I know that it doesn't work for everybody but mm-hmm. it it is a place where people can go when they're really struggling with alcohol or other drugs right. so this particular article goes on to say we commonly associate addiction with drugs alcohol nicotine and gambling but it mm-hmm. can also be linked to pretty much any activity or substance such mm-hmm. as connection with others. I mean, you can actually, you know, right. like the codependent becomes, uh, you know, addicted to people. You know, you can have a relationship addiction where you can't, you cannot be alone. Uh, social media, people yeah. are definitely addicted to social media, food. Right. You know, I've, I've struggled with food addiction myself. I've had... Uh, struggle with eating disorder sexual activity Mm -hmm. um a lot of people struggle with that there's a lot of sex addiction porn addiction even with women even Mm -hmm. with women uh exercise you know been there done that yeah there's people that are workaholics Mm -hmm. and so 
you know, solvents like glue, glue sniffing, you know, mm-hmm. doing, uh, what's it yeah. called, whippets. <laughs> I used to yeah. do whippets when I was a teenager. Yeah. Uh, you know, shopping. A lot of people have shopping addiction and, you know, there's, there's other addictions. Absolutely. And uh, so essentially a core aspect of addiction is a compulsive nature around a substance or behavior and the level of sacrifices one is willing to make to obtain a psychological or physical high. Unfortunately, many people Mm. living with addiction may with addiction may feel like they are unable to control their habits for sustained periods of time without treatment and intervention you know so so dopamine is a dopamine is a central neurotransmitter in the reward pathway Mm -hmm. which plays a huge role in how we feel pleasure Right. So that is linked with the addiction processes because, oh, it re- yeah. you know, because the dopamine is released when we take substances, when when we take in substances, when we engage in certain activities, mm-hmm. when we see someone we love, uh, you know, it's the yeah. op- opioid system that plays a big role in our reward pathway. Yes. Which... Uh, is characteristically responsible for feelings of pain and pleasure in our bodies. Mm-hmm. So the opioids trigger the release of endorphins and that mm. dulls the sensation of pain and increases the, ple- the feelings of pleasure. Mm-hmm. So That makes sense too because even with kiddos that have experienced trauma, or attachment issues, you know, they have a very high tolerance for pain. Mm-hmm. Um, where they can jump off, a tr- like jump out of a tree and break their arm, and they didn't even know they broke their arm. Wow. Like, I mean, that tight, that serious of level of pain sometimes. And you see them too with kind of some of the sensory things. If you see them running into doorways, um, bumping into people, like they're constantly moving. Um, you know, they, yeah, that makes total sense <laughs> and definitely, yeah, adds up to even, yeah, kind of more on the other side of adoption of foster care too, with the brain aspect there, that makes sense. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty astonishing. The more research that's coming out, it it's really helping us to understand the importance of growing up in safe environments and what actually is a fallout when we don't get our God-given needs met. And, you know, we all have issues. We all have issues. The problem is the people that are in denial that don't want to address their Mm -hmm. issues that, you know, if if we don't address the, the, the wounds that caused our own heart to bleed, then we're going to bleed on other people. And if we're trying to parent, you know, parenting for me was very difficult because I was so broken from my own childhood. And, um, you know, and and I know I'm not alone in that because I've heard other parents that have gotten honest, you know, talk about how difficult it was for them to parent and there is another resource out there there's a woman by the name of sarah mcdougall and Mm -hmm. she has come out of 
a really hard marriage and she built up a ministry that helps women who are in uh, in abusive marriages who are mamas and her one of our ministries is called trauma mama mm-hmm. and she oh, helps wow. she helps mothers that have been traumatized and with their children who have been traumatized at the hands of an abuser to right. to heal to heal and so there is hope there is healing and there are a lot of resources out there to help people to to heal whether you know at at whatever age actually so the work right. that you do the work that you do is so important and i know that we were going to get into talking about the faith community um Mm -hmm. who you know the faith community has not really been uh, open to to learning about these different attachment um styles and and about uh rallying around adoptive families and being a support to them and you know the the Bible talks about how we are adopted into the father's family. Yeah. So, so I think it's really sad that you know the faith community at large has not rallied around people like you who are trying to do this important work, and the families that are also doing extremely important work by adopting these children that need a safe home. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And it, yeah, it definitely, like you were talking about, I think it definitely doesn't diminish, you know, some of when parenting, you know, there's this book called Parenting from the Inside Out. And it really talks about kind of processing your own trauma, your own childhood, your own aces, and, you know, some of those things to really be able to effectively parent because you don't know how those things impact our relationship with our children. And so it's definitely important. And that you, yeah, all, all the things. <laughs> Absolutely. So unfortunately, we are out of time. Could you please uh, share once again how people can get a hold of you? and yeah. the ser- the services that you offer? Yeah, so I am private practice. I work primarily with adoption and foster care and school-based, um, but I can be found on Instagram and uh, Facebook at Adoption Avenue and or Adoption Ave, A-V-E. Um, and if you just type those in, you'll find me and I'll pop up. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Right. Well, unfortunately, we are out of time. We covered a lot of material. So I'm hoping, listener, that you were blessed what we discussed, chatted about, and hopefully you can find a pathway, a pathway to wholeness for yourself, for your children, friends, family, congregation, you know, just trying to rally around people who are from different walks, different experiences in life, Mm -hmm. and uh, just giving a message of hope and healing and also providing direction and resources. So, yeah. So thank you so much, Leanne. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Absolutely. Okay, everybody. Shalom. Oh
Yeah.